Gosh, that was good. Wasn't it? Can we just say thank you to Aaron and the team? Man. Oh, wake up. I love songs about coffee, you know? Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The words from, from God to this nation were keep going. But they were words that were built on a, on a story. They weren't just said in a vacuum. See, see this nation of roughly 2,000 people found themselves in a valley, and they heard those words from God, but before that, they'd seen the hand of God. See, it was, it was God who'd led them out of 400 years of, of slavery into freedom, but he led them to this place where they were on this peninsula, water surrounding them on three sides, and miraculously, the Red Sea parted, and they walked through on dry ground. But he, but he didn't stop there. See, every morning when they woke up, there was a little bit of bread they called manna that was lying on the ground, just enough to get them through the day, and then the next day it was there again. Sometimes quail came in, so they got a little meat in their diet, but not regularly. They had just enough. They were in the wilderness and walking through the desert, and they had no water, and God told Moses to hit a rock with a stick, and the rock turned into a well, and water just started flowing from it. They'd seen unbelievable things. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes stayed good. They saw God's gracious hand of provision all along the way. And he said to them, keep going. Keep going. You're in the desert now. You're out of slavery. You're in the desert, but I'm leading you to the promised land. Don't stop here. And so they were sent to go spy out this land, a land that they found was flowing with milk and honey. They brought back grapes for people to taste. Evidently, they were really good grapes. And they were like, these are amazing grapes. And they said, yeah, there's milk and honey. It's unbelievable. It's wonderful. And God said, keep going. And they said, well, there's also giants in the land. I don't think you understand, God, or maybe you do, but we're sort of like grasshoppers, and they're sort of big, and if you really wanted us to keep going, then you should have made us a little bit stronger. And so they stopped. A people created for the promised land found wandering in the desert for 40 years. Because God wouldn't force them to take that step. He gave them every resource they needed. It was right in front of them, and they said, no, thank you. People created for the vast horizon, for the expansive landscape, for the milk and honey of the promised land, settled for the desert. I wonder how many of us here this morning have settled have just gotten stuck. Like I've talked to a lot of people, and sometimes it's, this, it's the pain of our past, and it just sinks an anchor down. And we're like, God, I don't, this is not something that I can get beyond. Or maybe it's the pride of standing on the top, and we go, God, me continue to move forward? Is there still ground left to take? <laughs> 
And maybe some of us, maybe some of us, it's just this narrative we have in the back of our head, this insecurity that just plays over and over and over again. If I take that step, if I make that effort, if I go that direction, I know the bottom's going to fall out from underneath. So it's just easier to build a camp, even if it's in the desert, than it is to follow God into the promised land. And in contrast to that mindset, which I don't know, anybody, can anybody relate to that? I can. In contrast to that mindset, we have the Olympics. Has anybody stayed up way too late watching sports that they didn't even remember existed unless it was four years ago, right? Around this same time? Right now we're like all in on the luge. I will not think about luge again until February of 2022. I promise you. But right now, I will die for our team winning the luge, right? I mean, you're with me. We're sleep deprivation because we're in on it, right? But I'm amazed at the stories that they tell in between. Stories of people like, like a Lindsey Vaughn who um, destroys her knee, shatters her leg, breaks her arm, suffers with depression and divorce. She even dated Tiger Woods. And, and she's there, right? She's there. She pushes through. And what is it about some people that get stuck in the desert and other people they push into the promised land? And what is it about our God? Because you know what God believes about you and knows about you because he's wired it into you? He is a forward-facing God and we are designed to be forward-moving people. Growing, changing, maturing, walking with him. But sometimes we lose sight of that. This church that we're going to read about today in Revelation chapter 3, if you have your Bible, open there with me. This church is a church that they got stuck. So if you've ever gotten stuck, this letter's for you. If you've thought, God, there's something you've wired me for, but I'm, but I'm in this place, I've settled down instead of being a pioneer, I, this letter's for you. And listen to the words of Jesus as he begins writing. Remember, we're studying these first, second and third chapters of the book of Revelation over these last few months. And we've been looking at different letters that Jesus writes through the Apostle John to the churches and to us. And here's what he says to the church in Sardis. He says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, as we've been doing every week, I just want to tell you a little bit about Sardis. It's important. I I think it's actually most important that we understand the context of Sardis because I think there's more allusions to their culture in this letter than in any of the other letters. It's fascinating. But just a little bit about Sardis. Number one, um, the people in Sardis were called sardines. Hey, no, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't. But... Sardis is just inland, a number of miles from Smyrna. It was an ancient prehistoric, I love how much you guys like that. It's, <laughs> don't encourage me. It, it was known, it was at this crossroads of two different roads, and so it was a vibrant trade city. It was known for developing um, a, a way to make garments out of wool. And so that was sort of the calling card in the commercial way of this city. They were known as a clothes-producing city. But maybe the most famous part about Sardis is that it had this 
1,500-foot peak that was in the back of the city. And so if Sardis were ever under attack, they would retreat and they'd go up to the top of this mountain. There was a fortress that was built on top of it with a temple inside of it. It was thought to be impenetrable until it wasn't. It was around 500 BC that Cyrus and the Persian army gathered around. They sat in that valley that you can see in that picture. And they were looking for a way to attack Sardis, and they couldn't find any way until one of the guards who was on the watch had a helmet that fell off of his head, and it went rolling down the side of the mountain. Well, this guy went and traversed down the mountain on a hidden path that the Persians couldn't see. And they went, ah, duly noted. So that's how you get up to the top of that fortress. Wonderful. And the next day they went and they came up to the top and they attacked and they found all of the guards sleeping. Wiped the city out without even having a fight. 200 years later, the exact same thing happened again. The Syrians attacked and they found all of the guards asleep. This impenetrable fortress, because the guards fell asleep, was taken down not once, but two times. It's like the Titanic sinking. This is the most powerful place they can be, and yet their security lulled them to sleep. File that away, because it's going to come back around. See, Sardis was also the place where they found gold for the first time. They started minting coins, and this river that ran through the city, gold started to come out of it. It was a a wealthy city, and they started to mint coins. And one of the coins that was floating around at the time that Jesus writes this letter is a coin that was commissioned and designed by the emperor Diocletian. And here was what was on the coin. It was a picture of his son, and his son was surrounded by stars. Anybody take a guess at how many stars there were? You got it, seven. And it was to depict Domitian and his kids and his family standing above even the cosmos in control of it all. So when Jesus opens his letter to the church at Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, he's going, there's a new ruler in town. There's a new invitation. There's, there, there's somebody who doesn't just want to be in charge and in control of the cosmos, but there's somebody who is. And Sardis would have gone, oh, we see what you're doing here. We see what you're doing here. And listen to what Jesus says to them. Revelation chapter 3, continuing in verse 1 and then verse 2. Here's what he says. He says, I know your works. Now, just a quick timeout. In most of the other letters, Jesus is going to give a commendation. Like, you guys are nailing it. You stuck the dismount. Good work. I'm going to have all these Olympic illusions. (laughs) But not to Sardis. Not to Sardis. No, good job, Sardis. He just says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. 
So Sardis, church at Sardis, you have this reputation. You started off good. You started off alive. You started off with my spirit because that's what breathes life. You started off with communion with me because that's what brings life to the follower of Jesus. You started off with this purpose for existing because that's what brings life. But somewhere along the way, that life turned into reputation management. And reputation management is exhausting, They're trying to put up a facade of this is who we are when deep down inside they know it's not true. They've been been hollowed out and we don't know why and we don't know how. We just know that they're not the church they once were. And here's what Jesus says to them. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found, not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I've been calling you to move forward. I've been calling you to advance. I've been calling you to grow. I've been calling you to change. I've been calling you to develop. But you've just set up camp and you're staying there. This word unfinished is the Greek word plerao. Will you say that with me? It means to fill to the brim, to fill to capacity. And Jesus says, that's what I designed you for. that's That's what I long for you to step into, individually as a church and corporately, but you've resisted. And see, if you were in Sardis, you could have seen a picture of what Jesus is calling them to every single day. Because they had this, this temple to the goddess Artemis. It was a famous temple, not as famous as the temple in Ephesus. That was the preeminent one. This one was secondary, but it had a distinguishing figure about it. See, the temple of Artemis in Sardis was only part done. And it had been half finished for a hundred years. They'd meant to go back and continue to carve the inlays into the pillars, but they never got to it. Some of them were finished, some of them weren't. I don't know if you've had a a, a project around the house that you got most of it done, but didn't quite finish it. Anybody there with me? Okay. Yeah, like like every doorknob at my house needs to be replaced now. So I'll do it in like a year. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the picture. Anybody have a book that they've only read half of? So we can relate, right? We can relate to this picture that Jesus is painting. And he's saying this subtly, but to the church, he's saying, I've created you to move forward. I've designed you, I've wired it into you that you would be different people than you were last year. It's why every year around the first of the year, we make these New Year's resolutions, we sign up for the gym, and it's why at this point in February, most of them are just back to normal. Because we wanna grow. Sometimes we set up camp in the desert instead of moving to the promised land. And see, Jesus is passionate, not about his church being perfect, but about his church being persistent. He's passionate about you, not picturing your life like there's some destination or arrival point that you need to get to, and then you can go, all right, did it, nailed it. But that your entire life would be a journey that you would be moving towards growth, that you'd be moving towards life, that you'd be moving towards vitality and wholeness and goodness, 
That's his invitation to us. But so much of the time, we, we settle. I read this um, study that came out um, a number of years ago. The, the book was written in 2007 by a Stanford-trained psychologist named Carolyn Dweck. And she wrote about two different perspectives that you and I can have about life. One perspective is called a fixed mindset. And it means that you are what you are. You have the intellect that you have. You're only going to get up to a certain point or grow up to a certain point. And most of us, if we have that mindset, believe we're already there. On the other hand, she said that it's possible to have a growth mindset. That we can continue to grow, continue to develop, continue to become the people who God says that we are. Listen to what she said in summary of her research. She said this, For 20 years, my research has shown that the view we adopt of ourselves profoundly affects the way we lead our lives. It can determine whether you become the person you want to be and whether you accomplish the things that you value. So let me throw a few things out there. When you encounter resistance, what's your initial response to it? Do you keep going or do you go, well, that's not for me? When you get feedback from somebody, we all love that. Do you receive it as a gift or do you defend your ground and say, that's not true of me? I'm convinced that as a parent, one of my and our, Kelly and my, main jobs is to teach our kids to have a growth mindset. Because everything around them is pushing them towards a fixed mindset. Let me give you an example. They lose a basketball game, and whose fault is it? The refs. Come off the floor. Those refs were terrible. I'm like, they might have been terrible, but they were terrible in both directions, bud. Like, the refs did not lose the game. Say it with me. The refs did not lose the game, right? And it's, we need to press on our kids to develop what we call grit because we are in a make it comfortable for them society. So we need to challenge them because challenge does something in our brain. It rewires things to give us a vision of the way things might be. And did you know that God wants you to grow he designed you with the capacity for it, with the spirit in you. He's moving you forward. Listen to the way that the author of Hebrews says it, because I love modern psychology. I really do. I think there's some fascinating things that are coming, some breakthroughs for us that are happening. I love it even more when modern psychology reinforces what the scriptures, scriptures have been saying for years. The author of Hebrews writes this to the church. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Why does he say that to them? Because he knows that everything in them wants to move forward. Everything in them wants to grow. And they've sunk anchor in the same spot. He's going, I've got more for you guys. Like, like some of you maybe need to jump out and lead a small group. You've been in one for years. Maybe it's time to lead one. Some of you have been mentored by some great people. 
And now it's time to turn the other direction and see who's coming alongside of you that you might be able to be a mentor to. Because God's designed us to grow. And a growth mindset is not optional to following the way of Jesus. It's not. A growth mindset is essential to living a life of discipleship. In fact, will you say that with me? A growth mindset is essential to a life of discipleship, that when it's easier to quit as followers of Jesus, we have to choose to develop grit. And so what Jesus says is, you've stopped. You've started to manage your reputation instead of taking ground. You've turned into a fortress church when I've designed you to be a movement. And so he's like, come on, you guys, come on. So so here's what I'd love to say. Will you look up at me for just a second? Our church is unfinished. It's unfinished. And it always will be. Until Jesus comes back, we will continue to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will continue to raise our hand to say, God, we want to be a part of that mission. The church that stops moving forward first stops expecting that God will move. Let me say that again. The church that stops moving forward first stops expecting that God will move. I love the way that Martin Luther King Jr. put it when he said this. He said, the belief that God will do everything for man is as untenable as the belief that man can do everything for himself. It is. Two is based on a lack of faith. We must learn that to trust God with the expectation that he will do everything while we do nothing is not faith but superstition. Boredom in the church should be an oxymoron because God is moving us forward. We're still praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, you can be a part of a church that doesn't change. You can, but you cannot be a part of a church that does not change and is alive because living things change. Living things grow. If you want to be a part of a church that doesn't change, you have to be part of a dead church. And then you better be careful that you don't bring the Spirit of God there because He's going to stir things up and do something different. So we're a church that is and will be changing. Like we're, we're hosting this People welcoming people workshop next Saturday because there's a thousand people moving to Denver. You know, every month, you know it and I know it. The freeways are more crowded than they've ever been, okay? And we can lament that or we can see, God, there's an opportunity here. What would you have us do? How would you have us respond? And we want to spread our arms open wide and say the gospel's too good that we would stand in the way of anybody coming to know him. And so, So join us. Um, We have a refugee workshop coming up. We did a class that trained on on the refugee crisis in America as it is now. This next workshop, you can find information about it in your service guide, is going to be designed to say, how do we put boots on the ground? Because we believe that God is bringing people to our door that we need to spread our arms wide open to in love in the name of Jesus. 
That people need to know how to do really simple things like go to the store or pay their bills or interact and go to the DMV and all those nightmarish things that we do and just know how to do, they don't. So how do we, we're moving forward, God's moving us in this. There are 80 to 100 people every single Sunday morning who link hearts and arms and serve our kids and our welcome area and our students and they prepare coffee and donuts and they unlock and they do all sorts of things because they believe that God is moving this church forward to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. There's a group of people that gather every single Wednesday night at 6.30 to pray because they believe that God is on the move. He's not done with us, you guys. I, I, if you love this church the way it is, I praise God for that. But we're moving forward into what God would have us move forward into. And here's the thing, look up at me for another moment. We're not done as a church and you are not done as an individual. You are a person in process. In fact, will you look at the person next to you and say, you're a person in process. You're a person in process. It's true of all of us. Some of you like that too much. It's okay. It's forgiveness here. It's true of all of us, you guys that we would be people who have a growth mindset. God, we're not, we're not done. You're not done with us. That's good. We are not done because God is not done with us. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been following Jesus, God's not done with you. I just saw Edith, 96 years old. She's leading a Bible study in her assisted living home. That's awesome because she's not done. Because she's not done. And I think so many times we let pride and insecurity get in the way of growth. Maybe there's things you've believed that are shaping who you're becoming. There's some things in your mind where you go, well, I'll just, I'm just always going to be that way. Or it's just who I am. Or it's their fault or his fault or her fault. It's, it's not my fault. I'm convinced the life we long to live is on the other side of the obstacle that stares us in the face. So the question we have to wrestle with is, will we continue to follow the God who says, move forward with me? Or will we say, here's good. We're content with just staying in the desert. See, the question becomes, and Jesus wrestles with this, how do we come, become the kind of people who follow him into the life that he has for us? And remember, he's not calling us to perfection. He's calling us to persistence. He's not calling us to some destination out there. He's calling us to walk the journey with him. It's lifelong, and it never ends. And he unpacks for us what it looks like to walk with him. Here's the way it continues. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus says this, wake up. Okay, stop there. Do you think, is the church really literally asleep? This is not a trick question. No, no. He's pointing back to what they've walked through in their history. He's using it as a metaphor to paint a picture that there's things happening all around you, he says, and you're just not aware of them. 
You're not, willing to, you're not willing to open your eyes to go with me, to walk with me. Two times in Sardis' history, they'd been attacked because they were literally asleep, but he says to the church, like, you're, you're, you're figuratively sleeping through this life that God's called you to live. You've sunk an anchor down where God's called you to be a movement. Wake up. Wake up. In 2016, there was a, a shepherd in a little village in Spain. And he was on his shift, and around 4.30 in the morning, he fell asleep. And um, unfortunately for him, he was watching 1,300 sheep that eventually got out, and he got a phone call at 7 a.m. from the police officer in this little town in Spain and said, um, hey, buddy, are you missing anything? <laughs> I mean, look at that picture. That's 1,300 sheep loose. It could be in Littleton. You never know. I mean, that's crazy. And he had no idea. And the picture Jesus is painting for his church is you have no idea what's going on around you because you are so either consumed with self or you're consumed with pain or you're consumed with pride that you're missing what I'm doing. Not coincidentally, the church in Sardis was one of the least persecuted churches in this area in this time. You cannot find anything in this letter that even alludes to the church being persecuted. So did they, did they fall asleep? Were things just so easy for them that they just started to put it in cruise control? I think this letter to this church is maybe the most applicable letter to the church in America today. It's easy for us, you guys. Paul will write to the church at Rome. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Here's the great news. The great news is that if you want to be alive, you can. You can be. It, it takes intentionality, but Jesus wouldn't command it. Paul wouldn't command it if it weren't possible. And so how do we do it? Well, here's how we do it. Waking means that we honestly acknowledge reality. We step back from our lives long enough to say, there's some things here that I'd change. Maybe it's saying out loud for the first time, I've got a, I've got a drinking problem and I need to address it. Maybe it's saying for the first time, this isn't somebody else's fault, this is, this is my issue, and I have an anger that's just in the depths of my soul that I can't seem to let go of. And it springs out in areas that I just, I never know when, but I know it's there. Maybe, maybe it's actually saying this, this marriage feels cold. We need to move forward. Maybe it's for the first time being honest enough with God to say, God, I'm really upset. I'm mad at you that these things didn't happen the way that I thought they would. I thought we had a deal and you weren't good on it. And so people who honestly acknowledge reality, sometimes it's really helpful because a lot of these are blind spots. Sometimes we ask others to speak into our lives to tell us what they see that maybe we miss. 
But it's also, maybe we take that step and go, I'm going to go and I'm going to see a counselor because I need somebody to help me unpack what's going on in the depths of my soul. Or maybe we decide that we're going to start going to celebrate recovery on Tuesdays to say, I've got to honestly acknowledge that things aren't the way that I long for them to be and God designed them to be, and I'm going to do something about it. See, Nehemiah never rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem if he doesn't first acknowledge that it's laying in rubble. For us to move forward, we have to acknowledge and accept what is and ask that God would move us forward. Here's what Jesus does, says second. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains. I love this. I love this. He says, and what remains is about to die He's going, church, there's something going on here. There's something that's still alive. And it's like a a little wick that's barely flickering, but it's there. It's there. And this is a really practical command because Jesus pushes back against our nature and our nature when things are going bad is just to notice the what? The bad. When things are going bad, we notice more and more and more bad. When things are bad at work, everything that coworker says ticks us off. When things are going bad with your kids, they can do no right. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Come on. If we want to be people who have a growth mindset and discipleship rests on that, we've got to be people who see these things that are still barely alive and we cultivate them and we breathe life into them. When I was first reading this this week, I thought, oh yeah, I remember that. It's a scene from The Princess Bride where they carry Wesley into this room and he's on this primitive form of life support. And the doctor, Billy Crystal, looks at him and says, your friend here is only mostly dead, but mostly dead is still slightly alive. Jesus is saying the same thing to the church. And what he follows it up with is intentionally feed life. Those things that are just barely hanging on, instead of looking for all the things that are going wrong and for all the things that you wish you would have done and the pain that you're carrying is going, okay, okay, that's all a reality. But something's still burning, something's still alive. That kid that can't do anything right probably did something right this week. Maybe. You can find it. And what Jesus says is, fan that flame. Fan that flame. In your own heart, in your own soul, there's things God is doing. You may be in a dry season of life, but there's things that God's doing. Be a detective. Find them and then fan that flame. What if, what if we learned to be the kind of people who when marriages were difficult or friendships were difficult or relationships were difficult, we intentionally fed life. It would change things, you guys. It would change things because vitality requires intentionality. I think, I think that this is why David says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, he says, I encouraged myself in the Lord. I fanned that flame that was barely hanging on in my heart. And some of you are here today, and and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, some of you are here today, you're not yet followers of Jesus, but you just sense that God, this God who's moving you forward is just drawing you in. Don't leave without responding to that little flicker. 
Respond. Be attentive and respond to what he's doing. Here's how Jesus ends this section. He says, so first it's, okay, wake up. Become more aware, self-aware, aware of the reality around you. Second thing, feed life. Do some work that leads you to self-care, to growing as a person because there's some things that are still alive and then he finishes it with, by saying, remember then what you've received. Keep it and repent or return return. So he goes, listen, you've been a part of this story. This story started with you in brokenness, drenched in grace. It didn't start because you were awesome. It started because God was amazing. And he goes, so go back to that spot. Go back and stand under that waterfall. Go back and be a part of that love again and again and again and again. When you fail and when you nail it, return to that spot. Consistently return to love. Because all growth as a follower of Jesus is grounded in the grace that started you. All of it. All of it. So Paul will write, you can study it this week if you want, read it. Galatians chapter 3, he'll write to the church of Galatia. Who's, who's bewitched you? Who's bamboozled you? Who's just thrown a wool over your eyes? You started with spirit. You started with grace. And now you've transitioned back to law? No, 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 no. Return. Return. Return to love. Jesus ends by saying this. Yeah, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, which just a quick time out, would have been a fairly um, uh, applicable illusion for a town that specializes in wool. And they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and will, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Just a quick time out. During the Persian and Seleucid reigns, uh, their empires had their bookkeeping and administrative hub in Sardis. Sardis literally housed the census and the book that included all of the citizens in it during those times. And when someone was wrong, someone was going to be executed, they would literally go in and erase their name. They'd blot it out. And so Jesus says, oh, you've seen this. But for those who walk with me, those who are awake, not perfect, but those who continue to be persistent because that's the way of discipleship, that's the way of Jesus. God is a God of moving people forward, he says. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me close by giving you just a few things, implications for South. Here's the first thing. We're a people in process. You just said it to your neighbor, they said it to you. Therefore, we have grace for those who are, not, who are not as far along. This is a safe place to be imperfect because we are all imperfect. Me first in line. Secondly, we don't expect perfection. Therefore, we can celebrate growth and progress 
Hey, we're not waiting for you to arrive before we acknowledge what God is up to in your life. Because you'll never quite arrive. But we're going to celebrate the growth. We're going to celebrate the change. We're going to celebrate the freedom because that's what God has wired us for. And third, we are alive. Therefore, we will change. It's inevitable for living things. It's healthy for living things. So how might you, what about you? How might you apply this letter to your life this week? Let me give you three things. There's, in your notes, there's a little box that says practice, okay? And my encouragement to you at the end of each of these messages is what's one thing God's stirring in you? That maybe this week you say, I'm going to put my faith um, to my feet and I'm going to step into the how of being a disciple by doing one thing this week. So these are just options. You don't have to take them or leave them, but my encouragement is do something. Maybe, maybe you sign up for the People Welcoming People workshop. There's information in the lobby about it. It's designed to help you grow. It's designed for us as a community of faith to continue to follow God as he moves us forward. I'd love for you to be there. I'm going to be there, and I would love to link arms with you as we learn. Man, what might it look like to better welcome the thousand people who are moving to the Denver area every month? Second, maybe you finish a project that's been looming over your head. Not because you necessarily even want to finish the project, but because you want to remind yourself you're a person who's in process. Is there something around the house? Is there a book that's half done? Or maybe choose one three-quarters done and just knock it out. Whatever. Is there a honeydew list? If you don't have one, you can come over. Okay. <laughs> Third, and this is the most risky, why don't you ask someone you trust and who loves you for feedback? Hey, are there things you see in me? Areas that might be dying or dead or on life support that you see in me? That maybe, just maybe, God would reawaken. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And if you haven't thought of your thing yet, I'd encourage you at some point during that song, we just write it down. What do you plan on doing this week? To practice the way of Jesus. I invite our worship team to come back up. They're going to lead us in a song called Relentless. And it's a picture of God, the way that God practices this pursuit. This, I'm not going to let anything stand in between us. I'm going to keep going. And as we sing this song, my encouragement to you would be to ask yourself the question, God, how do you want me to keep going? I read a story this week about Harriet Tubman. She was born into slavery. She was an amazing woman who ran out of slavery and then started to develop what you may know as the Underground Railroad, where um, most people think she rescued anywhere from 70 to 300 people from slavery. She was called Moses because she led people to the promised land. But that wasn't an easy journey. And as people started to grow tired, as they started to want to check out, she had a saying, and here's what she would say, and I'll leave us with this. She said, dead folks tell no tales. You go on or you die. Same is true for us, friends. God's pulling us forward. And life depends on us saying, God, I'm with you. Let's be a church that lives that life. 
Would you stand with me as we close our time? Remembering that that's in the nature and character of our God.